Welcome to Founded in Japan, where we share uncommon knowledge about starting up. Hosts Paul Chapman and Jason Ball are joined by startup CFOs Yuki Kishi and Maurizio Raffone to discuss the role of CFOs in startups, when is the right time to hire a CFO, and how the CFO role changes over time. Founded in Japan co-hosts Haruka Takamori and Nalan Advani also lend their voice to the discussion. Founded in Japan is recorded live on Clubhouse, and audio for some speakers may be degraded at times. Nonetheless, we hope you find the content to be valuable throughout. Feel free to reach out to us on the Business in Japan LinkedIn group. Thanks for joining us, and here we go. Welcome tonight. We've got a great subject, and maybe Haruka who posed this, Nalan who spent time as a CFO, and Paul with a wealth of experience can kick us off, and we'll get on to welcoming um, Yuki and Mo as well. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Paul. Good evening. Maybe we can start by asking Haruka, why was this topic interesting for you? You're working with a large number of startups. Is this a common problem amongst early stage startups? Definitely it is. Hi everyone. My name is Aruka. I am working for a accelerator as a investor in the company. Uh, mostly talking to startup in early stages. Many of them don't have CFOs, but I've got a lot of questions like when is the proper time I should get CFO or uh, what are the roles that CFOs are supposed to be in charge of and stuff like that. Yeah, so I thought it would be a great topic. And uh, yeah, I just happened to have my former coworker Yuki working as a CFO. <laughs> Conveniently, I thought he can be a, a, a great person to introduce the role as well. For people who are in VC, many of them are also interested in uh, working as a CFO. Definitely love to hear the guest talk about this topic today. Yuki, nice to meet you again on Clubhouse. Would you mind tell us about your your background and about your career and what your current company is doing? Thank you very much for the introduction. Hi everyone, my name is Yuki Kishi. I am currently working at a company called Sustabula uh, as CFO. Speaking about my career, I have three main pillars. One is finance, second is cross-border activities, and third is startups. After finishing my university in London, I came back to Japan for my first career. I used to work alongside with Maurizio. We used to work in the same company. I joined as a new grad in a German investment bank called the Dresden Client World at the time. Unfortunately, that was 2008. Soon after I joined, after a few months, the financial crisis happened. The Dresden is no longer there, unfortunately. After that, I quickly joined the Deutsche Bank Group in Japan office, and I spent about eight years doing valuations of the financial instruments. I, I left the company to pursue my MBA at the University of Cambridge in 2016-17. And then once finished, I came back to Japan. That was the time I got to know former CEO of my previous company, Philip Vincent. He was about to set up Plug and Play Japan office. He was looking for someone who can lead the fintech vertical. So I joined the company back in 2018. I spent about three or four years. And starting from this year, I joined this company, Sustainable Lab, at CFO. What we are doing at the moment at Sustainable Lab is we call ourselves ESG FinTech company. We are collecting many non-financial data and we're trying to be a, in a way, next-gen Bloomberg for ESG tech assets. Thanks for the self-production and I believe you're definitely doing well. I just saw a picture. You were in plug and play a couple of weeks before coming back as one of the member of Sustainable Lab. 
I joined company when Yuki was the director. Um, time passed so fast. What about Mario's? Uh, would you mind giving us your self-introduction and about what you're really doing? Thanks, Erica. Thanks, everyone. The name is actually Maurizio Osone. It's a difficult name to pronounce for most people. If you can't pronounce that, just call me Mo. That's good. I am Italian. Uh, I live here in Japan. I am the chief financial officer of a tech startup called Credit. We have two offices around Asia, including one in Japan. We've built an embedded finance solution that helps financial services companies acquire clients through marketplaces, collaborations with the most of our focus section, Southeast Asia, a little bit in Japan, although a lot of our investors are actually based here in Japan. I've been doing that for about two and a half years. I spent a couple of years prior to that here in Japan, frankly, not doing very much, taking it easy, doing a little consulting on the side and recovering from the previous 20 years, which I had spent in investment banks, primarily in the structured finance, doing all sorts of dodgy, dirty transactions. I remember Yuki's first day when he came over as a new grad and uh, I think it might've been him causing the whole financial meltdown. You never know. Timing was uncanny. Kidding aside, I know this is probably not the sexiest topic to talk about, uh, CFOs and startups, but I'll do my best to make it fun. Thank you. Obviously, you two already have this uh, financial background before you become what you're doing right now. So let's say if a startup wants to hire a CFO, what do you think are the criteria for someone to be in the position, first of all? And what do you do right now as a CFO? I'll start from all. Let's start with the easy part, which is what do we do as CFOs? I think we can break down the role of a CFO into three different areas. The operational area, the tactical area, and the strategic area. Briefly, the operational is really to make sure that salaries are paid, invoices are paid, both from the company to clients and vice versa, making sure the bank account is accessible and basically anything that deals with the usage of money on a day-to-day basis. Also make sure your CEO doesn't spend too much, which is uh, maybe a more interesting topic to discuss later on in the call. In terms of tactical role, this is really as a support role for the functions of the companies, more on the operational side, but as a support, for example, planning your financial reporting, your investor reporting, look over your financial statements, see what's going on with your budgets and trying to make sure the company doesn't hire too many people all at once and that you have enough money to go and get laptops for people. Trying to think a step ahead in terms of the future usage of money. In terms of the strategic role, I think it really comes down to two functions. One is fundraising. It's help the company fundraise, meaning investors outreach, which you'll do very closely with the CEO and other co-founders of the company, but also preparing the road for that and, and have an outreach in terms of investor relations, creating a strategy for how the company should present itself. Insofar as the company will have a product at some point, startups tend to have products at some point, you'll have to look into the pricing of that product. I think as a CFO, another strategic role is really to help the business development slash sales team and the management team to figure out what is the right pricing strategy what is the market doing in that space from the competition and whether the economics make sense. Start looking after some of those metrics that will inevitably help you to raise more money in the future. You think you just mentioned that there are mostly three parts in a CFO role. 
did you mention the tactical? So operational, tactical, and strategic role. How does it look overall? How do you spend your time on each different roles? And could you please give us a big picture of how normally your work would change depending on timing? Sure. And I'd love to hear the UK agrees with my view of how the work should be. Or maybe I'm missing something. I shouldn't be doing. Please let me know. In terms of the time split, fundraising is clearly the one that once you're in the fundraising mode, it's going to suck up most of your time. You prepare the data room, you do the financial projections over and over. It's just a lot of work that needs to be looked after. And that probably takes 75% of your time. And the rest is taken up by mostly operational stuff that needs to get done and make sure the company takes over. On a normal situation, I would say I'd spend about 33% of the time in all of the three areas of focus. Your personal side is also just for the boring stuff, but it needs to be done. For example, every day I check the bank balances. We have different bank accounts. I just want to make sure that nothing funny has happened. Maybe I'm paranoid, but I check that. In terms of the tactical work, obviously closer to reporting time at the end of the month or the beginning of the week when we have the management group meeting, that takes a bit more time because you go over that, you make sure you're looking at the right metrics in a way that you know, everyone understands. Financial numbers can be a little bit daunting, so you try to make that story a little bit easier. I'd say all these things on average over a year would take a third of one's time, but obviously this is the context of my company, which is fairly small, about 20 people. We've gone through a few stages of financing, but still fairly small in terms of what we've raised. One point I'd like to leave you with is the figure of a CFO for an early stage startup up until series A or B is really more of a builder than a manager, which is true probably for the rest of the C-suite. Most of your time has to be spent building, whether it's processes, whether it's building relationships, efficiencies in the company and so forth. I was going to ask last part to Mauricio. What's the stage of credifying? Because it really depends on the stage of your startup. So you mentioned up until series A or B, I truly echo what he just mentioned about the building phase. Our company, we are pre-series A, between seed and series A round. We only have 15 people, one five. To be honest, I, I totally agree with the three areas he mentioned about operational, tactical, or strategic role. I truly agree with that. But allocation of the time really depends. For me, what people think about the pure finance kind of role, I probably spend about 20% on average. For me, the rest are building their strategy, more like building the business itself. I also go for a meeting, sales meeting, business meeting, because in the end, creating a top line is very important for our stage. And the second point, what criteria is needed for CFO role? It really depends on the stage. It depends on the culture. Many people think the role associated with the word CFO is purely finance, which is in one sense, yes, but it varies widely depending on the phase of the company. Being able to do finance is bare minimum criteria. For me, these kind of long financial criteria, like biz dev, leadership, management are very important. I totally agree. I'm going to take that as a segue into a couple of controversial points I wanted to raise. First is you probably don't need a CFO exactly. uh, for an early stage startup, right? Unless you are a hardcore fintech company. Now you need someone with a finance background uh, to get the programmers on board, to make sure that you build something that actually gets sold and makes money, right? 
It has to be a yin and yang coming together here. It doesn't have to be in CFO role. You just need the subject matter expertise. It does probably help if that person ends up being in that CFO role. But once you do hit Series A, Series B, I think you definitely need the director of finance to relieve the CEO of all the pressure of having to deal with the liability side of the business. Companies are split into assets and liabilities. If you're on the asset side, you have the products that you sell and the interesting, cool stuff. But still, the liability side, normally, early stage startups, everything's done by the CEO, the co-founders. So a CFO, a Series A, Series B, when you're a real company, you're running around with a set of products that you're selling and you have maybe 30, 40, 50 people, it's good to have someone taking the reins of the financial side of the business. Not necessarily sure whether you need, you need a C-suite, definitely a director of finance. The other point in terms of the skill set, and I think you can hire examples of that, is you don't need an accountant to be your CFO. Now, the CFO does need to understand accounting. And trust me, I think uh, both you and I understand too much about accounting yeah. that we've here this out, right? But we're not accountants. We are builders rather than managers. And frankly, early stage startups up until maybe series A and B, the accounting is easy. You can delegate it out to some smart software and an accounting firm just to get your end of year accounts done. You don't need someone who's done all sorts of qualifications in whatever country that knows how to run through a PL backwards in his sleep. So a couple of controversial points thrown out there. Let's see if anybody agrees or disagree. I totally agree. Yes, I do have the title CFO, but I only do 20% of financial role at the moment. Rather, 80% it's spent outside typical finance related roles. Yeah, so totally agree. In terms of criteria, the success factor of CFO performance, the relationship with the CEO is very important. CFO is a position which is very close to the CEO and is necessary for a CFO or CEO to have mutual understanding of what the CEO is aiming for and what the CFO is expected to achieve. Now, I think that building relationship is very important. Harmony is truly important. And I think if there's any sort of discrepancy in the perception, I think it's very difficult to deliver results. In that sense, I was very lucky to have that strong relationship. At my previous company, Plug and Play, we supported the company Sustainable Lab for three months in the acceleration program. We knew about the company. I kind of get to know the CEO in depth, as well as other team members. After finishing that, Three months program, we went out for drinks. We get to know each other, disclosing our personalities. With that, I was able to build a strong bonding with the CEO. That's affecting my performance as CFO. On the previous subject about the size of a company and what a CFO does, if I'm a startup founder in a growing startup, how do I know when it's time? for more than just someone doing planning and analysis and finance. How do I know when I need a CFO? I think the moment you ask yourself the question, you probably need that person because you have identified a lack of something, which is usually time and the ability to get over your maybe investor outreach and relations efficiently, feel swamped that you can't keep up with the product development, sales and internal operations and fundraising and all that. So. These are the hard and fast rule. My 
experience, having worked in a little bit as consultant to startups and having worked at one in this role is, I think things can be on rails, financially speaking, with little supervision from a CEO, let's call it that, and a little bit of support from an accounting firm and software up until probably series A. At that point, you got to ask yourself, all right, now we have a substantial amount of money to manage. Do I have the expertise to do that as a CEO? And some don't. If you have raised a substantial amount of money, you need to have a treasury policy in place. You need to make sure that spending is under control. That's more on the operational side of things, but then it can take a little bit of time to set up the right framework. On the fundraising side, if your business is very fast growing, you're not going to have a lot of time for the fundraising stuff because you're going to chase the growth in the business. If you are in that inviolable position that you're doing really well from business perspective and fighting off your competitors and not finding yourself a lot of time to do to manage the liability side of the business, maybe that's the time. As Yuki mentioned, it really varies between company to company, but I think financial expertise is something that at some point the management team of the company needs to have discipline to look through the numbers, understand the numbers, being able to extrapolate them in a sensible way to help you guide your decisions. That varies, but once you start getting substantial VC money, that's a skill set you need to have somehow. I 100% agree with what Mauricio mentioned. In general, from an like investor's perspective, up until, let's say, C stage or like very early Series A, investor invests in the founder's vision and dreams. Starting from, let's say, Series A or B or later, they look more rigorously on numbers, on KPIs. It depends on the skill set of the CEO, but if it's beyond of his or her capabilities of managing these numbers accurately, tracking these numbers accurately, that would be the right time to hire someone. It doesn't have to be CFO, but someone who can actually do that kind of roles. One thing, like one of the biggest points right here we've been discussing about is the CFO's duty or the work really differs depending on the startup stages. That being said, I would like to ask Paul's viewpoint on this as a later stage CEO. What are your experience with the CFOs? And Thanks, Haruka. First of all, Yuki and Maurizio, where were you guys eight years ago? Why didn't we know each other? We struggled for a long time to find our first CFO. We had quite the credibility gap being foreign founders in Japan. Let's just say that in 2014, 2015, 2016, it was tough to get investors to trust us because no one who succeeded in Japan looked like us. VCs are patent matching machines. And if there's no patent to match, they don't match it. <laughs> so you've got to keep trying to find another patent. But going through the later stage, a lot of it comes down to, like everything, with your technology, you might have a great CTO, but you're going to have technical debt. You might have really talented salespeople, but perhaps your pricing sucks. It got you to where you are, but it doesn't look like it's going to get you to where you're going. Finance is no difference. So you're going to have a lot of legacy that you need to get rid of, assumptions, compromises, trade-offs based on what was important at the time. But before I go into that a bit more, I'd like to ask Fritio and Yuki some questions. Yuki, you mentioned that BizDev, leadership and management are also the roles of a CFO. What's been your experience outside of pure accounting and finance with things like development, leadership, management? In terms of our product-wise, we do have our product, well, I think it was launched last year, December. So now the company itself, we are in the phase of selling this product. Given we are only 15 people and half of us are either data scientists or engineering, 
it's only a few people who can actually go out and speak to the clients who can actually do the sales pitch back in plug and play or the previous jobs. I, I did both front office as well as middle and back offices. It was no choice for me to do the sales activities as well. Also, given my previous role, I have another hat, the board of director at the FinTech Association of Japan. I have many networks within this institution of FinTech areas. So try to utilize my network and do alliance partnerships, these kind of activities. Of course, other more like leadership management kind of layers. This year, since we've done fundraising this February, we are in a stage of uh, hiring uh, aggressively. One of the main agenda for a company, but at the same time, I personally know that they're growing the company organization that rapidly. There are many hurdles, especially in a culture perspective. I'm also leading that culture buildings, drawing mission, vision, values, kind of activities. By answering your question. You have. I'm just wondering, is that typical? You're like a super CFO. <laughs> yes, I am the super CFO. Is that typical? Good question. The company that I'm working, we already had the guy, we already had a COO, which usually does a biz dev. And we also have another hat and a C chief, a revenue officer. He's the main person doing the sales activities, but having a few rounds of interviews and a discussion with my CEO, he can see that my skill set shouldn't be limited to finance function, it can be applied to other roles. If I'm the sort of person who's not really good at sales pitch, I'll probably be focusing more on the finance as well as corporates kind of activities, etc. It really depends whether it's typical or not. I hope it's not typical. Exactly. And if you want to contact Yuki about his next CFO role, please in private, not on Clubhouse. Just joking. I'm joking. That's great. Just throwing to Maurizio. So Maurizio, your background, can you remind me again what you were doing? I'm not proud to say that, but if you watched the movie, The Big Short, I was doing that sort of thing. It's a good movie. I like your work. No. <laughs> Hopefully you weren't the greatest fool. I cannot watch the movie. It gives me PSD. Yeah, I hate Photoshop too. I think there's two phases for startup CFOs based on my experience that I've seen in other startups as well. You could describe it as in the early to middle stage, you need a, almost like a post-factum founder, someone who acts like a founder after the fact, but is a lot more credible than the CEO is the guy or the lady with the vision and is dreaming and talking and selling, but isn't looking at all the details of the numbers. You need like a number oriented, highly credible person who can also talk to clients, who can talk to stakeholders, who can sit in front of the, uh, the investors with the CEO and probably help teach the CEO, unless they've already you know, raised money and exited before, how to talk to investors, how to talk to bankers, how to be in that world, to educate not just the CEO, but the executive team. I think that's the first phase, your first phase CFO. And as Yuki and Maurizio have pointed out, you probably don't need a CFO before Series A. If you have one that's better, if it's someone who, like these two gentlemen who can contribute in many other areas, then that's great. Perhaps you got them on board as a founder. If they didn't join you as a founder, then most likely you hire that person when you hit the wall on fundraising, as I think as Yuki pointed out, seed, A, beyond that, you really need some help to get bigger investors, bigger checks. The due diligence gets harder. You need someone to sit down and talk through the Excel spreadsheet or the Google spreadsheet. You have to have someone who can answer all the little questions that the CEO typically wouldn't answer. When you get to a later stage and you're starting to scale your business, you need real pricing, like long-term pricing with the benefit of not just generalized knowledge, but specialized knowledge. 
I think Maurizio and Yuki and people I've worked with as well at the early stage have a common background in banking and finance. That's really great because you learn about money. You learn about finance, I hope. But you learn to talk to money, to bankers and to the money people. So that's super important to learn. If you're a CEO, founder, you don't have that. You should seek to learn that from a very talented CFO. In the later stage, you need greater specialization is my belief. As you're lining up for a future IPO, you want someone who understands corporate finance deeply, someone who understands governance, timely disclosure rules, how to put together an accounting process and manage that, not as the accountant, but having an accounting manager and knowing how, you know, what a good job looks like from having managed people like that before. I think the later stage CFOs often have a much stronger accounting and finance background. I've seen CFOs of listed Japanese startups where they've moved into corp dev roles because they've come out of a in international banking and finance, and then they became a CFO. Post idea, you need someone who's just really operationally excellent around accounting, finance, talking to auditors and investor relations. I'll tell you what it's like when I experience it, but post IPO investor relations is quite formal and intensive. That also is a process that needs staff and someone has to manage them and they do stuff and you hold them accountable for their KPIs and hopefully do a great job. To summarize the way I've seen this, and I'd love to get the insights of, of Nalan and of course Yuki and Maurizio, but that early stage trailblazer CFO type, typically from banking and finance versus early growth stage. CFO usually has an accounting and finance background. If you're a technology company, maybe they come from a tech company and they have experience there. That's probably an easy way to, to divide them up. We haven't heard from Nalan much. You've seen a lot of later stage companies and also early stage companies. What's your view? Thank you, Paul, first of all. And um, I agree with everybody here. The nature and the skill set and capability of um, your CFO will change depending on the stage of the company. And also will change depending on the nature of the company and the other members in the management or executive team. One thing missing from the positions is usually the CFO is also going to be responsible for things like HR legal and governance, especially of the legal entities. When you have things like IP and intellectual property, that might fall to a CTO or a product management person. But all other legal issues, compliances, complications usually come to the CFO until you're big enough to have legal counsel or be able to pay for fancy lawyers on the outside. That's one that's good to be mindful of. If you're scaling beyond one geography and you have multiple legal entities, whether it's for financial reasons or customer and go-to-market reasons, usually your CFO is also going to be the one charted with setting up those entities and balancing everything between them. Then on the HR angle, this is in many ways, I think this is a mistake a lot of startups makes, which is you leave the CFO in charge of HR for too long because one of our differentiators as a startup is finding and securing and engaging good people. With all due respect to Yuki and Maurizio, I'm sure both of you are great at this, but not all CFOs are, are well inclined towards engaging employees. Sometimes they come at it too much from the cost point of view and not so much from the capability and skill set point of view. It's important to very early on because people have, a, and especially if you're a software business, people have a very big impact on your cost base. So your CFO will be heavily involved in who you hire and what budgets you allocate. As your company scales, your CFO will focus more on communications with the shareholders, communications with 
future investors, perhaps banks, and also perhaps customers. Yeah. So that's my initial reaction. Thank you. I think that's a very good point. The corporate functions typically will fall under the CFO. And like you said, sometimes HR can be stuck under the CFO too long, or in the case of other companies under the CEO for too long, not pointing any fingers at myself. You have to wear many hats in the early stages. In the early days of Money Tree, I split the, the legal role with the CFO to some extent, but ultimately it's his responsibility. But I had HR. Longer term, when you get closer to IPO, CEO is not allowed to have any functional staff reporting to them. When you get closer, you can have the heads of the groups report to you. So you don't want to be too hands on anyway. You've got to focus on building. A good CFO will help you do that. What are some of the things that successful startup CFOs have in common? Of course, you can look at yourself and say, well, I'm good at this, but perhaps you've got some reference to peers as well. Emphasis on startup CFOs. Maurizio, do you want to have a shot at that? I see that Yuki just gave up on, yes. that, on that question. <laughs> like, oh, I'm out of here. Exactly. Oh, he's yeah. back. Okay, he's back. I don't really have a peer group that I refer to, mostly because I've been winging it for the last two and a half years, in all honesty. The CFO role has to combine two worlds, right? It needs to combine the world of numbers and the boring things that start, most startups don't want to do. They want to do the cool idea generation and selling to clients and building product, but also with a deep understanding of the subject matter. Someone that has, I think, Paul, as you mentioned, particularly for later stage companies that have very specific skill sets in preparing companies for IPOs, that's something you really can't replicate. For earlier stage companies, though, I think the outstanding qualities come back to the ability to build, build efficiently, to bring processes in place, both from the management of the company to how to think strategically, be a little bit more of an advisor perhaps, than just a regular person doing their job. That's why I think a lot of early stage startups, rather than take on a CFO full-time, actually hire a director of finance on a part-time basis or an advisory basis. To summarize, you want someone that really knows their numbers. Uh, they've proven that they're able to do what they say they do, whether they've done fundraising for other companies before, or whether they've worked for M&A companies, advisors. They have to have a certain pedigree. I wouldn't hire 23-year-old, frankly, as a CFO. Nothing wrong with 23-year-olds, but I think you just don't have that experience. At the same time, someone who has taken the time to learn about the subject matter and the area they're in, particularly for early stage. Later on, we'll seem to agree the skill sets are different. You say you're in the AI space, for example. I'd love my CFO to have an understanding of AI and how that's applied in that specific field. Then all the discussions about the strategy, the pricing, what kind of people we should be hiring and how much we should pay paying for for them. It all makes sense. Otherwise, there's always going to be a big divide between the business people and the CFO. Remember, the CFO is always the bad guy, right? He's the guy that tells you not to spend. He's the guy that tells you that investors want more. He's the guy that tells you that we're not selling enough. He's the bad news guy, generally. They need to bridge that gap of understanding of the underlying asset that you are selling, a service, as much as possible. I think it's, it is definitely important to not be the CF no, you know, you got to aim to be the CFO. We make that joke a bit. It's tough being in that role. It's like being a CISO, chief information security officer. Your job is really to stop bad things from happening a lot of the time. People get the feeling that's all you do. Thanks, Maurizio. That's insightful. Yuki, how about yourself? What are some of the things that you think successful startup CFOs have in common? 
perhaps with your background at plug and play, you've got a wider peer group that you can draw upon there. I've been thinking while Mauricio is speaking, in the end, I think it kind of two words popped up in my mind, three words actually. One is leadership and second is, how do you call it in, in English? Okay, like human humanity, human humanity, human yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to. Uh, that. I think it's, it's probably empathy, mm -hmm. humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's another word. And the third is commitment. The level of commitment. I think these are three factors. I think is of course not only CFO, but in general, it's very important as CXO or as a board member. I guess. In the end, so as a CEO of a startup company, I think the mindset you have to have is you never let the company fail. And, and in a way that you'll be the sort of, you'll be the last one to be on that ship. So that, that shows a level of commitment because I think you know, startups, like not only early stage startup, but even in general, I think startups have many up, up and downs in the startup journey. For example, now, like who would expect this last year that suddenly the, the IPO market has changed the venture capital the fundraising market has really went in a different di direction since it's Q1, Q2 but in this bad timing of course you can be in a way thinking everything in negatively but as leadership you have to show the guidance you have to show the direction to the team to the employees not only CEO but of course in CFO as well that it really depends on, as mentioned, the commitment, leadership, and the empathy, these kind of wordings. As Moita mentioned, as early stage startup, yes, you need to have more roles as a builder, but more as the company grows, you need to have more sort of subject matter experts in each field. That's great. Thank you. So on chat, we had a question. When looking for a CFO, what are the critical questions to ask them when interviewing? Maruti gave an answer there as well, which is show them your company financials and ask them to tell you what you think you're doing well and what you think and what they think you're doing not so well. It's a pretty good way to look at it. I probably wouldn't show them the financials in the first interview, but <laughs> if you're interviewing a CFO, assume that you're going to tell them a lot at some point. So as soon as you get past that first stage, get an NDA. It's probably one of the first things that I do once we get past the initial screening. One other thing is the CEO should do the screening not your HR department, not your internal recruiter. Well, resume screening, they might do. Whenever we hire a senior role, I'm the first person they meet typically if it's a C-level because they're going to be my hire. If they're a senior candidate, you want to show them respect from the very start. Don't put them through 17 levels of other people and process before they get to meet by the big guy or the big gal. Going back to the question, what are some of the questions we should be asking Yuki and Mauritia and perhaps also Nala? Just to follow up on that, I never said those had to be your true company financials. You know what I mean? You're going to throw a test to people, see how they react. But another thing, I think good question is about the product pricing and the unit economics and have obviously, they, by the time they interview the CEO or they're being interviewed with the CEO or managers, they should have done their homework and understand about the company as much as possible. So they should know about your products and how you're selling them and what you're charging. There should be an area of discussion to see if that person, one, understands the economics of your business, two, sees opportunities for improvement in what you're doing or tuning of that product, and three, test their flexibility, which is the other thing. And a lot of people that have studied extensively very boring subjects like accounting, they do tend to fall into a certain general approach to life, which is keep it steady, keep it going. But for startups, you need 
a lot of mental lateral flexibility to address issues and unexpected situations. And I think you want to have that kind of discussion. I want to say confrontational discussion, but a very strong discussion to see how they would react if you'd ask them, look, we're planning on raising our prices 50% from next month. What do you think? Do you think we're doing the right thing? How would you go about validating that or not? And see how they reason through and that yeah. point, Maurizio, when you, uh, when you want to give them the fake books, right? I think you're going to need a CFO for that anyway. So it's going to be CFOs all the way down there. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's kind of similar to what Maurizio mentioned, but CFO, he or she needs to have a good understanding of business model and how, how we make money on the cost associated with that. So I think the first question I usually ask to the potential CFO or someone who can work with me is that we usually ask, hey, have you done your homework? Yes, they usually say, yes, I've checked the website, read all the articles, blah, blah, blah. And based on that, I, my next question, follow-up question is, uh, tell us about our business model. How do we manage? How do we make money? Uh, what's the cost as well as how much do you think we're making? Yeah. So the, these kind of uh, business model related questions, it's kind of a good start for me to test their sense of the business itself, as well as more like intellectual ability as well. Of course, when I got uh, this job offer from the current company, yes, they, they did show me uh, their PL, like cash flow statements, their projections in Excels. And yes, I think I do remember that I pointed out several formula errors and they are pretty much impressed. Your Excel foo is strong. That is always a good sign. Tools of the trade. So if you're fundraising, if you're looking to raise funds in the future, if you're challenged by any kind of, shall we say, debt raising as well. When I said fundraising, that could be equity or debt. Japanese banks will lend to you. And that, that might actually be a good question. Have you had much experience with debt raises? And I would say specific to Japan, since it's probably a bit of a unique beat, but if there's something general that we can learn from experience overseas as well, willing to hear that as well. Any debt raising experience? I did that for the most part in my previous career, where uh, that's all I did essentially, is raise debt financing and the hundreds of millions of dollars a pop. In the startup world, not yet, although I've personally engaged with venture debt companies. So my experience in that respect is limited. I think it, we're trying to generalize in terms of how you go about debt raising versus equity raising, just to put some pointers out there for people who may not be familiar. That is really money that you need to repay back. You can't just keep it. I think most people know that. But the way you underwrite that from a lender point of view is really based on cash flow and the ability of a company to generate enough over and above their expenses, some extent, at least at the top level, to be able to repay that debt or to Keep it going so far to get the refi, which is more the high yield case. But anyway, if we're talking about venture debt, what's very interesting is, in my experience at least, it really is more of a support to uh, an equity financing rather than outright standalone financing that you do just with debt. And by debt, real debt, not convertibles that turn into equity anyway. I'm talking about loans. It has become quite normal for people to go and raise a Series A of I don't know, 10, 20, 30 million and maybe have a 5 million kicker, one to 5 million kicker in, in debt to minimize dilution, but still get some cash in. And as a rule for, as a CFO, if you can get money, get it from investors. Don't hold back. At least the terms aren't too bad. 
However, what's very interesting is in the last few years, what we have is uh, revenue financing, which is a form of debt, but where you go and raise debt to be repaid directly from your revenues and structurally a little bit different in terms of the priority of payments and your liability waterfall. But it is that if you are a revenue generating company, you don't want to dilute your equity holding. You have an ability to tap into traditional debt providers, but also these innovative revenue-based financing that tends to be done mostly by other startups or some more forward-looking companies out there. You're talking about companies like Pike in the United States? I'm not aware specifically of Pipe. There are a few companies here in Asia that, because I get emails every so often from companies that will give you 230 million and not going to dilute any of your equity. But the idea is that every time there's a revenue you book, you actually have to pay, I don't know, five cents of that, you know, five cents of the dollar back to the debt provider or 20 cents of the dollar, depending on how much you've raised. And the idea is that it helps you, it helps the underwriter because they are somewhat protected from you spending money that doesn't generate revenues per se in a sense. So it's not general liability of the company. The time it helps you as a company, because again, you've raised money and it's easy to raise. They have fairly straightforward processes, fairly decent amounts that you can raise. But again, it really needs to be a SaaS business. If your startup has more lumpy income or product development that creates uneven cash flows, that becomes a little bit trickier. Yeah, it's interesting. There are a lot more options. I remember when we got our first loan that wasn't from Japan Finance Corporation, which is the government-backed quasi-bank that will lend to lots of small businesses in Japan, including startups, although it was very challenging to get it from them, despite the fact that we were in Shibuya. And I remember the person that we were meeting with was saying, oh, we should be able to lend to companies like you, but we can't because our policies are behind. Because Shibuya was where the startups were, and I think he was in the business of turning them away. But I'm pleased to say they did give us a loan and that helped a lot. Uh, Years later, we got a much bigger loan from them. So getting debt funding is not a a bad thing. In fact, it's a pretty necessary thing. But before I go on my tangent, Yuki, I reckon you've had some some experience in Japan working with banks. Yeah, much to add, to be honest. But in Japan, the typical perception from Japanese banks perspective is that they may venture that is of course that it's there in the website, but it never gets loaned out to the startups that really needs the fundings. But I think the momentum has really shifted listen, for the past few years. It's my, my gut feeling is that I read many press releases of the companies doing the fundraising activities. And you start to see more and more press releases saying that some of the money actually came as a loan from XYZ banks in Japan. So I think the momentum has really definitely has shifted. As Moise mentioned, there are many other options like revenue-based financing, but also not as common compared to other markets, but crowdfunding is also another way for people to do their financing activity. As other startups, there are many opportunities, much more options in Japan market, which I think in general is a good thing. So it's great to see that banks are putting more efforts in terms of the low activities to startups. Can I just add one thing, which is important, I think, to clarify is that as a company, and it doesn't matter whether you're a startup or a large company, whenever you take on debt, you're also taking on certain terms that you need to stick to unless you want things to go bad. For example, the lenders may insist you have certain financial ratios. They may insist that you have certain spending limits. And these are conditions that could lead to bankruptcy if they're not adhered to. 
obviously, I suspect the loan to an early stage company will be much more flexible in terms of these criteria than the bigger companies. But it's a reality that you don't really have with equity financing, or of course you have shareholders, reserved rights. They tend to be fairly high level, fairly easy to deal with compared to hard terms that you need to stick to as a company if you take on that. Ultimately, I think it really depends on the strategy. I mean, I think this falls to a CFO skill set, but it really depends on the company's strategy in terms of its financing activities. So depending on that, you choose the right ways of financing. It could be debt, it could be equity, it could be other forms, convertible notes, other ways of doing financing. But these days, you have the whole crypto world that has opened a potential avenue of fundraising. I know I'm opening a can of worms here, guys. Shut me down very quickly. But it is now something that people are looking into. Some of the big companies like Tesla, for example, even have some, some of the treasury positions in CoinForge. Is it a good thing, bad thing? I'm not saying. But there are opportunities out there to, particularly when the market was a little bit better than now, to actually get crypto-based financing. Obviously, depending what your line of work is as a company, if you are a DeFi protocol is one thing, if you are I don't know, making sausages is different, but we live in a world awash with money. I don't know how long that's going to go on for. But if you are a startup founder out there or thinking about starting up a company, just now is possibly the best that has ever been up until a few months ago. I think the wave just started to turn a little bit. Lots of options for you out there. Definitely. I was looking at 2022 from mid-2021 thinking, how long is this party going to go on for? <laughs> well, it could finish as early as January or February, or it could go until 2023. And it looks like the January, February guess was right. But I'm not going to say I called the bubble bursting or anything like that, but it just seemed like the market was really hot and things were getting $100 million valuations with no revenue that weren't even necessarily blockchain because, of course, that's good and proper in blockchain. One of the interesting things about raising debt financing in Japan is the insane amount of paperwork. Of course, I love to mention the fact that the definition of a banker is someone who'll lend you an umbrella when it's sunny and take it away when it rains. Definitely when you've raised money through venture capital, as Yuki pointed out, banks are willing to throw in some debt funding there as well. That's the time to really borrow when you have a lot of cash in the bank. I haven't seen a great deal of focus on things like uh, corporate governance, restraints on spending and so on. But we have a lot of bank VCs and some of them are observers on our board. So I think that gives them confidence that they've got, that at least there are a lot of outside adults who are watching what we're doing. And ultimately that's the thing about bankers is they expect their money to come back. I mean, with a high degree of certainty. On the other hand, VCs famously say 90 something percent of their investments go to zero and it's the remainder that make their portfolio. Although that strategy in Japan is perhaps a little bit more conservative, especially since Japanese VCs don't try to get 20% of the company in a round. I haven't seen that very often. Whereas I hear that the MO, the modus operandi for uh, a lot of US VCs is to get that much money to make their model work. I'm interested from your perspective, for all the four of you who are more in a other investment role or CEO role, uh, what had you, what you found to be traits and characteristics of CFOs that you've appreciated and some that you found difficult to deal with? Nala, do you want to go first? Okay, let me have a shot at this. I feel that in many cases, the CFO is the counterbalance to the CEO. It depends on who and what your CEO is like. Very often you want somebody who's a, a 
very positive, upbeat, and forward-looking CEO, especially in the early stages of the company. And somebody has to act as a counterbalance. And in my opinion, that's in many cases the CFO. So early stage, depending on who the CEO is, you need to be a counterbalance. You're probably the only other C-suite member who can actually almost veto what the CEO is going to be saying. And you do it based on Excel sheets and, and numbers. As the company grows, that changes. I really want to highlight, because this is mostly about startups, I do want to highlight that the CFO is probably the single C-suite member who could veto or do something close to vetoing the CEO. Yeah, I've heard that too, that the, the CEO is the accelerator and the CFO is the brake. As long as the, they're not faulty brakes, you're going to be okay. Paul, I think actually, I think the CFO should not be the brakes. He should be the clutch. That's exactly right. Not the brake. The person who said that, I didn't quite agree with them. Especially when you're fundraising, and this isn't news to Maurizio Yuki, the role of the CEO is to have the vision and to make a credible case for the future of the company. The CFO is to provide credibility today. They're the person who's going to be talking about the numbers and the investor can say, yep, I can believe this because you've given me a very detailed explanation and answered all my difficult questions. One's near-term, one's long-term. One is more vision. The other one is more facts and data. Depends also on the kind of CEO that you are. But as a good team, especially in fundraising, and this is more just general advice, make sure the roles are clear. Don't have the CEO and the CFO trying to be the same persona. If both are competing tell the investor the vision, you're missing out on the opportunity for one of them to talk to the numbers or to establish more credibility. But typically it's the job of the CEO to show what that vision is and explain that in detail. It's the job of the CFO to validate that. Very interesting comment. I would say I totally agree with what Paul and Alan mentioned that I think a lot of times CFOs has to be someone to make the vision more realistic and more make the business more and more on track and tell the story that added credibility on their story to make their story more, how do you say, like more, it makes more sense. I actually have a question because I think like we have been talking about cases where companies are hiring CFOs as a full-time employee. Because I'm based in Kansai and sometimes where startups I have met do not hire full-time CFOs, but they have CFOs as an advisor or like sometimes ex-VC people will be CFOs in multiple companies. So in that cases, I have heard, you know, like some people said, it's not the ideal way as a startup that you want to have a CFO role in your company. What are your thoughts, especially to Yuki, Ma, and Pa, and Nalan as well. As for early stage startup, I do understand that this is probably one of the choices that they can go for. But what are the what advantage and disadvantage for hiring a CFO that's not full time? Yes, I'm volunteering here. So I speak in terms of my experience as a consultant, which I was mentioned earlier, for a couple of years in between lifestyle changes. That's what I did. I provided consulting services mostly on financial aspects relating to startups. And I think it's great, frankly, for a startup to engage someone on the financial side on a part-time basis. One, so you can test them out and see if there's a good fit. Two, if you can actually see if that person generates the interest, if you're fundraising or does the work 
that you've asked him or her to do properly within a certain time frame, and hopefully that relationship, even though it's part time, the CEO or the co-founder, co-founders are able to absorb some of the information that person shares with them, right? So they can get educated if they're missing that skill set of that perspective. This is assuming the CEO or the other co-founders don't have a strong finance background. If they do, different story, you probably don't need or anyone part-time. But I think actually the part-time makes a lot of sense for a low roles in early stage startups. Until you really get your key early stage team, you'll go through people anyway. So why not someone on the finance side, just like someone on the programming side or, I don't know, a sales side. Obviously, there's sensitivity around opening up the books uh, of your company to a person, but that can be taken care of with proper contracts, which is something, by the way, the startups need to do from day one. I think uh, if that person is judicious and they know what they're doing and you vet them through an interview process and got references, they're able to manage their time. Now, obviously, if they were consulting for 15 different startups, I'd be worried. But yeah, I think that's just common sense. Maurizio, on that point, verbal contracts do have a rather long history in Japan. And you can even verbally modify a written contract, apparently. I've had someone try and claim that, although we just dismissed that claim and they didn't follow up on it. Nalan, do you have any thought on, on the question? I have a very clear opinion on this. I don't like part-time anything at the sea level, but having said that, you have a choice, right? You can, you can have three part-time of something, but you can have one guy or a person wearing three hats. And I would rather have that. I would rather have one person wearing three hats than having three part-timers, three people with half a hat. If and when the company grows, rather than having that one person wear three hats, you have them wear two, then you have them wear one, and you have three people wearing one hat each. But I'd rather have these people fully engaged rather than spread between multiple companies. If they're spread between multiple companies, they become me. I get to do what I do because I'm okay with it. I'm fairly decent with it. But, you know, I don't think a CFO should be part-time. Yes, definitely. And I'm actually surprised to hear Mo's answer. But I think if you see like a long-term relation, this person and maybe he or she can be doing part-time for now. And if your relation is going to be like long-term and you see the future hiring he or she in the future, then I guess it's definitely feasible. I mean, as a chemist, as a chemistry check, starting out with somebody who's not necessarily full-time, I totally agree with that because you don't want somebody like fully locked in who you discover three months later is not compatible. So spending three months to understand whether there's a compatibility, I think is absolutely fine. But then to go six months, a year with somebody being part-time or working on three different CFO roles, I'm not sure if that's the way to go. And usually if your company is growing fast enough, you wouldn't be able to, to sustain having a one-third of a CFO. We really have to ask ourselves, is there a, a good CFO out there who works part-time? There, there must be one for every hundred who's a full-timer. And they would have very specific personal reasons why they're fine to work part-time or as a consultant to multiple companies. And is that the type of CFO that really fills the CFO need you, you think you have? Are there part-time CFOs out there? And do we call them that or are they just consultants? Perhaps the role of the CFO that Nala's talking about is, is more 
really deeply understanding and representing the company. It's not something you can do part-time and, and also helping to steer day-to-day. So you can outsource your accounting and finance. And as Maurizio said in the early stages of a startup, it's simple. But the true role of the CFO goes way beyond that. The good CFO is probably not doing the accounting and finance hands-on. You've got a bookkeeper, you've got an accounting manager, others, maybe a project manager there as well to keep things moving and processes humming in the company. On the other hand, yeah, the orchestra doesn't conduct itself. It totally makes sense. And I don't think I've ever seen any successful CFOs that are part-time, but obviously I was doing some event with some of the VCs that are doing multiple CFO roles at the same time. So I was just wondering the background reasoning for a startup hiring a CFO that's doing different companies at the same time. I think if you're struggling and you have a CFO, so consulting or advisory CFO, that's better than no CFO because they'll be able to give you all sorts of insights. But ultimately, these processes are things that you want to bring in-house and have the relationships and insights so that they can do their job. Yeah, totally makes sense. Bottom of the hour, I guess we're wrapping up. Yuki and Mo, any final wrap-up comments on the role of CFO in startups? Yeah, one final comment that hasn't really been touched is that I think recently I see more and more bilingual CFO talents coming into this field because there are many venture capital funds, not only from Japan, but also national investing in Japanese startups. I see many people so looking for CFOs who can actually speak both Japanese and English. So that's one newer trend that I see. I'm lucky but myself and also Mauricio are lucky to be there, both bilingual. Mauricio, any final comment? Nothing specific, guys and gals. I just want to thank everyone for listening to the conversation. Just remind everyone, CFOs are tough people, but they do have feelings. So treat us nicely and we'll get you the next big check. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. All right. So we'll be lobbying the Japanese government for the official Hug a CFO Day for 2023. Until then, please feel free to come back to Founded in Japan. It was great to have Mauricio and Yuki a special guest tonight. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, everyone. And thanks to Haruka for the suggestion and pulling this together. Thank you once again for listening to Founded in Japan. This episode was recorded live on Clubhouse on May 16, 2022. Founded in Japan is part of the Business in Japan Clubhouse and LinkedIn group. Follow us on Clubhouse or LinkedIn to join our live audio events or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Feel free to reach out to us on the Business in Japan LinkedIn group. 